in our seventh week of this series called Freeway, where we are trying to figure out how to um, give all of our life to God and allow God to take over and give us freedom from our past, from our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups, from our failures. And uh, this is the last step. If you're a first-time guest, we'd encourage you to get the CDs out there. They're free. Um, But we started a seven-week journey, and we're talking about this. And our small groups are finishing up our workbook tonight. And um, my small group meets in the back. Uh, John's small group is actually meeting here at the church over in the house at 5 p.m. tonight. Child care is here. Even if you hadn't been before, we'd love for you to come. Next Sunday night, we're going to have a uh, Thanksgiving meal during our small group time. And and if you want to come and enjoy that with us, we're going to sing some, we're going to share some, we're going to eat together uh, out here in the living room. If you want to come, you you are more than welcome to come to that. And then uh, in December, we'll have a couple of parties for our small groups on Sunday nights. And uh, we won't have any child care in December, but we do have child care tonight. We do have child care next Sunday if you want to come and join us. So as we're finishing this up today, this is the culmination of this journey that we've been on to try to figure out how to, how to get free from the pain of our past. Now, I read about an experiment that was done with a bunch of monkeys. Actually, four monkeys were put into a room with a very tall pole right in the center. At the top of the pole, uh, hanging suspended, was a group of bananas. So uh, as you can imagine, the first monkey that got hungry decided to climb up the pole. And just as he reaches out to grab a banana, he is doused with a freezing cold stream of water. He is very upset with this and scampers back down the pole. One by one, the monkeys scamper up the pole. As they reach out to grab the bananas, they're hit with this blast of cold water. They all come back down. Eventually, they quit trying. They're like, it's not worth it. I don't care how hungry I am. I'm not going up there. So here's what they did. They removed one of the monkeys, put a brand new monkey in who'd never been, who'd never seen the pole, never seen the room. As soon as that monkey started to climb the pole, the other three monkeys came and pulled him down. And he kept trying and kept trying, but after a while, he quit because everybody else was pulling him down. He never got to the top. He never got blasted with water. One by one, they replaced all of the monkeys so that at one point, there's no monkeys in there who's ever had water blasted on them, and none of them will try to climb the pole, and none of them know why. Now, when it comes to our past, to, when it comes to our pain, when it comes to failures that we've made, I think we're kind of a lot like these monkeys, <laughs> Sometimes we get stuck in our past and, and, and we don't even know why we're in our past. We don't even know why we're in our pain. But a lot of folks had something traumatic happen to them and they are still there years and years and years later. And we're saying that you don't have to, to, to go through that because God offers you some freedom from your past. And so um, a lot of times, like the monkeys, the problems are that we're hanging out with people who pull us down. But really... There's a deeper problem, and it, and it comes, and, and you, you find this problem when you look in the mirror, and you see that really you're in control of your life, and if you're letting somebody else pull you down, you need to find a new set of friends. Maybe you're the reason that you're still stuck and not anybody else. And, and there's an old saying that says, if you do what you've always done, then you'll get what you've always gotten in the past. If you want to keep on suffering, if you want to keep on making the same mistakes, then by all means, keep doing what you've been doing. But if you want to be free, you're going to have to do something different to get a different result. Now, everybody fails, everybody has hurts, everybody has a past, but not everybody deals with those things in the same way. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but there there are some people that just deal with their failures better than others. For instance, Michael Jordan, he, he had this reputation that if he lost, he thought, that's not the end, I'm going to have another game tomorrow. 
and, and he just had this ability to focus on the next one. I'll have another opportunity. Now, he was much better as a player than as an executive. You know, the whole Washington Wizards thing, if you remember that, that was, that was a failed experiment. But in his prime, he was a great example of just putting it behind him. I'm going to have another opportunity. Did you know that entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs, do not succeed their first time, their second time, or their third time? The average number of failures for an entrepreneur before they succeed in any business is 3.8 failures. The difference in those who succeed and those who don't are the ones who succeed can put their failures behind them and they can move on. Um, There was a soccer player way back in the 70s. Most of y'all probably have never heard of him, but his name was Kyle Rote Jr. He said this, there's no doubt in my mind there are many ways to be a winner, but there's only one way to be a loser, and that is to fail and not look beyond the failure. The way I say that, the only time you become a loser, the only time you become a failure is if you fall down and you don't get up. Because in the Christian life, you're going to fall down. But you have a Savior that will pick you up time and time again. You just keep getting back up until God gives you victory over the pain in your past. When you boil it all down, the problems with the mistakes that we've made in the past, they're going to cause us to have one of two reactions. Either we're going to have a breakdown and just stay there for the rest of our lives, or at some point we're going to have a breakthrough and we're going to become better than we were in the past. And, and the, the people who stay in their past, who have a breakdown or a dime a dozen, the people who overcome their past, they inspire us. And we want to have people inspire us today. The choice is yours. That's what this whole journey is about. The choice is yours. We're going to tell you how to make those choices today. But when, when I was thinking about this, I've used this several years ago. This kind of made me think about this rules for being human. Here's, here they are. Rule number one, you will learn lessons. Rule number two, there are no mistakes, only lessons. Rule number three, a lesson is repeated until it's learned. Yeah, some of you have been down there in number three. Number four, if you don't learn the easy lessons, they get harder. Pain is one way the universe gets your attention, and, and I don't believe in karma and the universe, all that stuff, so I would actually put God here. Pain is one way that God gets your attention. And rule number five, you'll know you've learned a lesson when your actions change. If your actions don't change, you haven't learned anything. If you haven't learned anything, then you're full of yourself. If you're full of yourself, there's no room for God. And you can't possibly understand what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, and and specifically in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. By the way, if you have a smartphone, you can look up and you have YouVersion, the Bible app. You can actually look up and follow online if you want to. Um, We always throw that out for you. Here's what he says in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, we hear that and we go, oh, what's the big deal? But you got to understand, Jesus' audience were some of the most proud people. They were the most spiritually full of themselves people who have ever lived on the planet. They had their sights set on a Messiah and specifically a Messiah that would come help them overthrow the evil Romans. See, the Jews knew they were God's chosen people and they were looking back to get to their rightful position. This was about power. This was about um Uh, This was about us succeeding over everyone else because we're going to have a military deliverer. And then Jesus makes this statement. It totally catches them off guard. He says, happy are the meek. Blessed are the meek. You can have full life if you're meek. They didn't want meekness. They wanted power. They wanted macho. They didn't want a meek Jesus Messiah. This is what they wanted. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives
Jesus to paint his face blue and say, they may take our wives, our lives, wives, any of that, but they'll not take our freedom, right? And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. They wanted a physical revolution. Jesus came to bring about a spiritual revolution. The Jews, man, they understood. You don't, you don't go fight the Romans, the greatest empire known to that time, with meekness and humility. You get wiped off the face of the planet. They knew that, that it took some power and it took some pride, and Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Now, the Bible says that every time that Jesus taught, there were large crowds, and this was no exception. And, uh, and you know, they didn't have speaker systems, they didn't have sound systems back then, and so there's thousands and thousands of people, and they had to kind of relay the, the thing. And so I think some people, they, 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 they got, they misunderstood, because they're like, what do you say? What do you say? You know, and people are passing around. Monty Python actually has this. It's in the, the life of Brian. And so when they're teaching this, and they go, blessed are the meek, and people are passing it on down the line, um, at, at one point, guy goes, What's so special about cheesemakers? <laughs> Blessed are the meat. I don't know. It's not to be taken, somebody else says, it's not to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturer of dairy products. Now, see, I think they didn't fully understand meat and cheesemakers. You can laugh. That's okay. That was lame, but you can, you can laugh anyway. Consolation laugh, a little golf clap. Um, they didn't understand the term meek, and we don't either. Or... <laughs> Maybe, maybe we do understand it. We just don't want to embrace it because meek doesn't sound like something that we want to, we want to have associated with our lives. Um, because it sounds kind of weak. Now, guys, when you were growing up and playing football, did your coach ever grab you and say, get in the game? I want you to be gentle as a dove. I want you to go after that quarterback and nurture him. My senior year, um, we had been told since we were in seventh grade, our coaches, same coaching staff, that's kind of unique to, to have coaches that long, we were told that we were going to be district champs. This was interesting because there had not been district champs in our, uh, in our city for over 15 years. So the, by the time I'm a senior, 19 years, we've not had a district champ. This was back in the day that only the district champ got to go to the playoffs, not all 800 teams from your district get to go to the playoffs. Not knocking it if you made the playoffs. I'm just saying. All right, back in the day, champion. So we are actually playing the champion who has not lost a district game in four years. Lubbock Estacada, their name, you know, just kind of, they were bigger, they were faster, you know, they were, they were from Lubbock. We're from Borger. We had to play against them, 4A high school. And so we're in this game, and I was playing safety, and uh, the running back comes around the corner, and he's running for the sidelines. And so I very gently, very meekly kind of, you know, just kind of nurtured him out the sidelines right in front of my coach. My coach was about this tall. He was, he was actually a college quarterback at New Mexico State back in the day, and he was fiery. Now, he was, he was a Christian. He was a deacon at church, so he didn't cuss or whatever, but when he had fire come out of his eyes, he grabbed my face mask, and he said, don't you ever do that again. I want you to put him on the ground. I was like, yes, sir. And so I run back, in, uh, I run back out there a few plays later. Guy comes around the end, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm running as hard as I can. I launch, and I put him down, and my coach goes, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm just running around going, let's hit somebody. Because you kind of lose your mind. You don't, you don't have a clue when you're playing football. You know, I just like, yeah, I'm not meek. <laughs> but if you're a follower of Jesus, meekness is something that you better understand. In the original language, the, the word for meek is prayus. 
P-R-A-E-I-S. And it has different levels of meaning. Now, if you, if you just take the surface level meaning, it means humble, it means gentle, and it kind of fits the stereotype of what people outside the church, when they look at Christians, they think, you know, they're mousy, they're weak, they're spineless, they wear polyester, and they say, praise the Lord. And, and that's the stereotype, right? But that's not the meaning that Jesus gave here. Jesus has a deeper meaning uh, that, that he wants you to understand, and I want you to get today. And the word was often used to describe an animal who had a wild nature, and that nature, that will, had to be broken. Why did it have to be broken? Because unless the will of that animal was broken, it was not useful. You see, you and I have to be broken by our heavenly trainer before we're useful, because we're full of ourselves. He can't use us. It's when we're empty that he uses us. Now, do you know people who have lots of potential, but they've never, but, the, but, but they've never reached that potential? It's because they're not broken. Do you know people who used to be useful in the kingdom of God who aren't useful in the kingdom of God anymore? It's because they're not broken. You and I have to be broken to be useful in God's kingdom. And that's not something that we like. And I'll just be honest with you, you don't get broken when everything good happens to your life, when it's all sunshine and roses. Usually when you're broken is when life falls apart and you don't have anywhere else to turn. You say, I can't do this in my power. And God says, now I've got you where I want you. See, what, what he was talking about was a stallion. I've got a picture of a stallion here, this pretty magnificent animal. Now, this animal can run like the wind. It can pull plows through fields. Is there anything about that animal that says weakness? No. The image he's using, though, is this animal tamed. Meek actually means strength under control. That's on your listening guide. I want you to get that. Strength under control. That's a tame stallion. Being meek is more than just being nice. It's not just lacking conviction. Actually, being meek means you have tremendous courage and conviction. You just have it under control, and that's what God wants. It's strength under fire, courage under fire. And, and see, this gentle spirit, this meek spirit, cannot come from inside of you because you don't possess it. It actually comes from the spirit of the living God taking residence in your life and equipping you to be meek in the middle of some pretty strange circumstances sometimes. And it's actually the spirit of Jesus. Look what it says in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. Jesus who suffered for you is your example. Okay, it says the son of God suffered. If we're following him, what does that probably mean for us? Okay, just checking. Three people got it. Jesus who suffered for you is your example. Follow in his steps. He never sinned and he never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he did not threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Jesus didn't just sit on the mountain and say, blessed are the meek. Jesus walked it. He lived it in front of everybody. And he's our example. And, um, Meekness has always been God's pathway. You can find it in the Old Testament. You find it in the New Testament. Jesus was preaching another time, and, and actually later in the, in the sermon, he said, there is this, there's this super highway that's headed to hell, and most people are on that super highway going to hell. He said, but there's this little bitty side road over here, and there's very few people who are on it, and that's the road that leads to heaven. The reason so few people are on it is because only the meek find that road. Only the meek get to heaven. Why? Because you have to bow your knee to one who is greater than you. And then he saves you because of that. 
And so this meek road, that's always been God's way. In the Old Testament, it was Moses. Y'all remember Moses? He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He was the leader who led the Israelites out of Egypt. If you ever watched Ten Commandments, that's a horrible biblical representation, but at least it gives you a little bit of idea of what's going on. That's just, it's just not biblically accurate at all. But, but Moses, Big Mo, the leader, look what it says about him in Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very what? Meek more than all men that were on the face of the earth. Meekness wins. Meekness is what separated Moses from every other man. And God says, that's the heart I want. I want a meek person. I choose him. Now, God doesn't want us weak. He wants us meek, which means strength under control. And meekness is all about control. And, and here's your next thing on your list, God. True freedom is found by choosing who controls you. Because someone controls you. It may be you, it may be somebody else, but you are under someone's control. And when you choose God to control your life, he sets you free. He says, blessed are the meek, happy are the meek, free from their past are the meek. And this choice is all about stepping across the line of faith and declaring your intentions. It's a decision followed by a process. You step towards God that says you're giving all of your life to him and you step away from doing your old way of life, doing it in your power. And what we're talking about is the most important choice in your life. So if you want to be free, then you've got to ask God to take control of your life. And here's how you do that. There's four things you must accept if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, if you want freedom. First is accept God's son as my savior. Now, this is where you admit you've messed up. This is, this is kind of the humility where I say, yeah, I, I, I'm a sinner and I need someone to save me. And you ask God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Acts 16, 31 says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Now I didn't put this on your listening guide, but Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's a very simple process, but you got to bow the knee to do it. And you have to admit, I'm a sinner and I need somebody to save me. And then if you accept God's son as your savior, the Bible has this incredible promise for you. I was standing at my doorway probably uh, 18, 19 years ago when, when some Mormons came to the house and we were having a debate about whose way was correct. And I said, okay, let me ask you, if you were to die tonight, how do you know you'll go to heaven? And they looked at each other. The two elders looked at each other. They looked back at me and they said, you cannot know. And I said, point of order, because the scripture, which is one of the, the Bible, uh, one of the, the uh, texts that you use, the scripture says otherwise. Look what it says in, in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Whoever has the son has life. That means accepting him. That means calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever ever does not have God's son does not have life. So it's real simple. Have you accepted him? And then look what it says. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And, and so they started to turn and walk off. And I said, <laughs> a little fire got into me by then. And I said, let me tell you something right now. 30 seconds after each one of us dies, we're going to know which one was telling the truth because the Bible says that I can know that I have eternal life and I will stand before God and he will say, your name is written in the book of life. Come in. Good and faithful servant. Not because I'm good, but because my savior is good. And I said, when you stand before God, you will remember this day because he's going to tell you, depart from me because I don't know you and you will burn in hell. They hadn't been back. And, and I, didn't, I didn't say that at all. I, I was not making fun of them. I just thought, I got to draw a line. And maybe God will use that to break that, that ironclad heart that they have because they're deceived. 
And uh, don't have time to get into all that, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I'm being narrow-minded because the founder of my religion is narrow-minded. And I'm merely quoting the founder. Does that make sense? Accept him as your savior. You can know. And, and when I accept him, I'm given a new identity, child of God. I'm not just a creation of God. There are six billion creations of God walking around on the planet. But when I come to Christ, I'm given a new identity. I'm in a different classification than creation. I am child of the one true king. I don't know. That gets me excited. I don't know if anybody else is excited. I'm given a new life. So the first thing you got, first thing you have to, if you want freedom, you have to accept God's son as your savior. Second, you have to accept God's word as my authority. Now you have an authority. You are under somebody's authority right now. Um, how many of you uh, think you're not under authority? Let me see your hand. All right. You, you got this figured out because I'm about to waste you if you, if you thought so. Because what is, what is that deadline on, on April 15th? Is that an optional deadline? Yes. Somebody said yes. It's only optional for a while. They eventually catch up with you and I will come visit you and say, you're an idiot. Um, because scripture says, scripture says, submit to the governing authorities until it's, and, until the governing authority tells you to contradict God's word. And then you, you have an authority. And, and what we say is God's word is our authority. And if you come to me and you say, what do you think I should do? I'm going to point you to God's word. It's not because I don't have a brain. It's because I do have a brain and my father in heaven has given us 95% of what we're supposed to do in the world. It has all kinds of stuff about, about family, parenting, marriage, sex. It's awesome. It's created by God. It's designed to be in marriage. Oh my goodness. Scripture is unbelievable. And if you'll get under the authority of scripture, God will lead you to freedom. He, he, he won't keep you from pain. He'll take you through the valley of the shadow of death to show other people that he is your deliverer, right? So you accept God's word as my authority. And here's what the Bible says. You're going to be judged according to the, the scripture. And look what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Maybe the reason your life is messed up is because you're ignoring the manual, God's word. And you don't get to pick and choose. Too, people, too many people take God's word like, you know, like it's a buffet. I'll have a little bit of love. I don't know about that tithing. That's a lot of money. I, I'll forgive people that I like, but I don't want that forgive my enemies and pray for them. God says it's all or nothing. And any other authority than God's word, than, than the kingdom of God, you'll be, you'll be led astray. So accept God's son as your savior, God's word as your authority. Three, accept God's will as my purpose. Oh, I love this verse, Psalm 40, verse eight. <clears throat> I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Um, now, just out of curiosity, there's no judgment, anything here. Um, how many of you have tattoos? Let me see. Let me see your hands. That's, that's over half of us have tattoos, and that's great. I'm not a tattoo person. I'm not ever going to judge you. But, but most of the time, people, when they get excited about their tattoos because they're going to permanently put something on their body, and it's going to be a, sometimes it's verses, sometimes it's names, and sometimes the names change. And, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, I just laugh when that happens. I'm sorry. Um, but, but it's something that's to be a permanent marker, and it reminds you and it reminds other people of something that, that you, you are happy about or proud of. 
David wrote this verse and he said, your word is tattooed permanently on my heart. It's not a suggestion. I want to do your will and, and your word is on my heart. And uh, he said, your will is what I want to do more than anything else. It's better than breath. He said, one day in your courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else because I want to do your will, God. Look at verse, uh, Psalm 143, 10. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. If you're not on firm footing today, I'm willing to bet that you have ignored the will of God. Because now, now God, you may go through valleys and stuff, but you will have firm footing. That's the promise of your savior. And, and, uh, I want to challenge you to pray this. God, I don't even know everything about what you want, but here I am. I'm just going to offer you my life because I believe your word will put me on a firm footing. So God's son is savior. God's word is your authority. God's will is your purpose. And number four, God's power as my strength. Oh, this is cool. Because it means you don't have to rely on your strength anymore. Because I got a news flash for you. You're not strong enough. Ladies figure this out much sooner than men do. Our egos are way too big. We want to hit something. We're not strong enough. And, and I'm going to tell you what, what will happen when God gets a hold of your heart or you get old. Your heart becomes tender. And, and I, didn't know, I didn't know how to cry. I was, I was taught you don't cry. And, and there's certain things nowadays that just pierce my heart. My kids can get in my heart, and, and uh, when stuff happens to them, last night, this, this always, Janie, Janie has this habit, when, when we were at home, the girls went to Walmart, and, and all of a sudden we heard sirens from everywhere, and her first thing is to call the kids and check on them, always has been, whoever's driving, if they're gone, and I mean, these, we live over by the hospital, and I, I'd seen care flight, and I thought the care flight was taking off, no, I went outside, and there are, there's ambulance, police cars, there's stuff going on, and and for a brief second, I almost threw up because I, th- I thought, what if it's my girls? And then, you know, they answer and I'm like, oh, I can breathe again. When, when God gets a hold of you, he's going to make your heart tender. And, and it, it, I'm just telling you, it's okay to cry. Look what uh, Philippians 4.13 says. I have God's power. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, choosing to follow God, this is going to determine whether you get well or not. It's going to determine those who get healed and those who stay in their past and in their pain. It separates those who are going to be fully devoted followers of Christ and those who are just going through the motions. And when you make these commitments, you need to know that you're going to have to recommit over and over and over again. Got a couple of pictures here. Um, Some of y'all have seen these before, but a lot of you haven't. Here's the first one. This is our engagement picture. I don't see what's so dang funny. <laughs> well, children and church work have caused me to go from that to this, all right? So, bald is beautiful. That was our engagement picture. That was 24 years ago. Uh, I proposed to Janie on December 7th, and I asked her to be my wife. Now, I didn't have a clue what, what marriage was about. I'd read books, and I'd, you know, I'd, I've been in church work a long time. And then uh, here's, our, here's our actual wedding picture. 
and <laughs> here's, here's what I did. 23 years ago at First Baptist Church, Colleyville, I stood in front of God and, and a group of witnesses, and I promised that I would stay with her my entire life. I would forsake all others and cling to her only in sickness and in health, all those other things. My brother was the minister. And what if, what if as my brother gets to that part, he says, will you keep these promises for the rest of your life? And I just go, whoa, whoa, time out, time out, time out. That's a long time. What if, what if I promise 52 days a year? Now, my wife's a little spitfire. Y'all might think she's nice, but you, you mess with her. She is nice, but don't mess with her. What, she'd have slapped the fool out of me right there in front of everybody, God and everybody, because she said, that's not good enough. I said, well, what if I give you one hour a week, Janie, for 52 weeks out of the year? Or, or Janie, what if, what if I give you one hour every third or fourth Sunday from 11 to 12? Do you think she would have bought that? Neither does your heavenly father. He says, this is not a part-time gig. He says, you do not casually date the bride of Christ. That's not how it works. Guy comes to my house, wants to date my daughter. He's going to go through some stuff. And he better have the fear of God. He better know God. Because if he messes with her, he's going to meet him that day. (laughs) But your heavenly father says, I want commitment. I want you to declare what it is that you're going to follow. You're going to follow me or you're going to follow someone else. You're going to have to recommit. I recommit to Janie every day. She recommits to me every day. The reason so many marriages are falling apart is because one or both spouse quits committing. And, and uh, y'all heard me say this, but I joke about it. I, I tell her every, every anniversary that I promised. I promised her before I married her, I'd give her 50 years. And so this will be 24. And, every, and on this one, I'll say 26 more, baby. Then we got to renegotiate. I'll be 76. I'll be in the prime. (laughs) You have to recommit. Let me ask you this. How many of you were in scouting? How many of you did Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts? All right, all right. Well, I went a couple times, then I quit. Uh, I never made it close to becoming an Eagle Scout. I wasn't even good enough to be a parakeet scout. They didn't, you know. But um, bum bum. But through the years, I've had the privilege of speaking at Eagle Eagle Scout ceremonies for guys in my youth group who reached that level. What I didn't know was the incredible amount of work that went into it. You have to have at least 21, a minimum of 21 merit badges, things like um, first aid, citizenship, personal fitness. I thought this was funny. Emergency preparedness or life-saving because you don't need both. Um, Camping, family life. That's just a few things. At least 21 merit badges. Put that picture up there. That is a happening sash, isn't it? I am not making fun at all. I'm impressed because I know what it took for this young man to get to be Eagle Scout. Well, they have this ceremony and, and they celebrate what they've done. Now, I bring this up because I'm trying to make this point. Some of you pick and choose which badges you're going to accept in your life. 
sure, you know, I'll accept the, the Jesus as my savior badge, but I, I don't want his word or his will or um, his power. I'll just, I just don't want to go to hell. So I want fire insurance, but you can keep all that other trash for yourself. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. There's no separation of, of God as your savior and Lord. That's something that, that some churches in America have done. You don't accept him as your savior and then later he becomes your Lord. Mm-mm. He becomes your Lord and because he's your master, he's the boss, then he saves you. That's a byproduct of him being your Lord. Does that make sense? And so what a lot of people do is we have this Jesus badge. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to give all of my control. I'm just going to have this Jesus badge. And, and it... it it takes up the same amount of real estate as the others. It's no more important than any other badge that I have. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, uh, the work badge or the family badge or the, uh, the friend badge or the exerciser badge or the pol- politically correct badge or animal lover badge or shopper badge or socially conscious badge or moviegoer badge. They're all the same. The, the point that I'm making today is Jesus is everything. He's not an extra. Now, it doesn't mean when I accept Christ that all my other badges totally disappear. It just means they're not prominent. I still have a dad badge, but I'm trying to be a dad who parents as a follower of Jesus Christ. I still have a friend badge, but I don't hide Jesus Christ from my friends. I try to treat them the way my heavenly father told me to treat people. I have a possessions badge. I've got possessions that I've gathered, but I don't try to hoard them to try to compete with someone else. I actually use them and I want other people to use those things to to further the kingdom of God because I realize my possessions are temporary. Jesus is not a bonus. He's not an extra. He's God. And it's not so, it's not about having so many badges so that I have the willpower to change, willpower doesn't help. What you need is the Holy Spirit's power to change. So I consciously choose to commit all of my life to Christ's care and control. That's where freedom comes from. So let me finish up with a few questions for you. These are on, no, they're not on your listening guide. I thought they were. Um, first question, do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and proved he was God's son by coming back to life? That's a yes or no question. Question two, do you accept God's free forgiveness for your sins? You can't earn it. Scripture is very clear. You cannot earn it. You have to accept it as a free gift. Three, are you ready for Christ to be the leader of your life? Now, if you answered yes to those questions, today is the day to step across the line of faith. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do this today, and I'm going to tell you how in just a second. But I want you um, to turn over the back of your registration card, and if you're ready to accept Christ, then I want you to say, I will. And then I want you to circle those words. If this is the first time that you have ever prayed and, and surrendered to God, then I want you to circle those words. I will, I will surrender. I will accept God's son as my savior. I'll accept his word as my authority. I'll accept his, his will as my purpose. I'll accept all of those things. And you just circle, I will. Now, some of you, you're already in the kingdom of God, but you've got to admit that you've really, Jesus is just one of your badges. He's no more important than anything else. And other people see that. And you realize today that you're shortchanging your heavenly father and you want to come back. You want to recommit. And I want you to write on the back of your card, I will. And I want you to underline it because the underline is saying, I want to make Jesus the foundation of my life. It's not Jesus plus my job, not Jesus plus my spouse. It is Jesus. And then every other badge flows out of that. And would you bow your heads for just a moment? Those of you who are ready to accept Christ, it's real simple. You pray silently where you are. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to save me. 
Read you the scripture. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you accept his gift, you just say, God, I accept what you've offered to me and I give you my life in return. Now, those of you who have strayed from God and, and you know it, today's the day to recommit. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you, you've allowed unrighteousness to creep into your life and before you knew it, you were distant from God and it's time to come back. I want you to just pray, God, please forgive me for walking away from you. Thank you for taking me back. I recommit to you today. Now, if you did those things, in just a minute, I'm going to have you write that on the back of your card. It's just kind of your, your cementing that decision, that commitment today. Father, we don't want you to be one of many badges. We want you to be everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, look at me real quick because I've got three more things I've got to tell you. And this is rapid fire succession. When God sets you free, he expects you to do three things for the rest of your life. It's why this church was started. It's why this church will continue to exist. This is what he wants you to do. First, he wants you to tell others that freedom comes only through Christ. You are the primary way that God tells others about Jesus Christ. There's no plan B. It's us. So our freedom isn't just for us. It's for others. It's meant to be shared and given away. Everything in God's kingdom can be redeemed for his glory. So what the enemy meant for destruction in your past, God meant it for good. God will use it to help love and serve others. So you find beauty in your brokenness, you find healing from your brokenness, and you share that with others. Second thing God wants you to do the rest of your life is he wants you to chase the prodigals. Very first sermon we talked about the prodigal son and how there were things that that Middle Eastern men didn't do. Well, one thing that a Middle Eastern man would never do is run in public. But as soon as his son started towards home. This, this Middle Eastern dad, which is a representation of your heavenly father, threw all caution to the wind. He didn't care who was looking and he ran and embraced his son. He said, because my son has come home. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And now he's given you and me the job of running towards prodigals. It's why we do church a little differently here. Because God forbid that somebody far from God should walk in our doors and say, I'm not dressed right. Someone judged me. Someone said I couldn't have their seat because they've been sitting in it for 20 years. That will never happen here because we're supposed to chase people who are far from God. And then the third thing, it's what I want to spend the rest of my life, however long God leaves me here, is rebuild the ruined. I got to be really honest with you, I'd rather hang out with lost people a lot of times than church people. Because lost people sometimes are very, very honest. And I don't want to be religious. I want to be who God created me to be, and I want to rescue people who are far from God. It's why we started the church. You know, on the East Coast, they used to have life-saving huts. After a while, they quit going out to save people in the ocean. You know what those huts became? Little country clubs where they would come back year after year and they'd give out awards for humanitarian things that people did, but nobody was saving lives anymore. This church is going to be about rescuing the ruined, rebuilding the ruined, rescuing the lost.
take your uh, registration cards, if you would, and fill those out. If you prayed today and this was the first time, I will circle that. If you're coming back to God, I will. You underline that. If you have prayer concerns, put those on there, and then I'll have you put those back in the, uh, the baskets. We have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. We give there, or you can give online, nlccp.com. There's a little thing at the bottom that says online giving. You follow the instructions there. Second is our registration card basket. If you have prayer concerns, put it on there. If you have answered prayers, that's my favorite thing to do is read through answered prayers. Put that on there and uh, you'll put it in there. Then there's a third basket called the bagel basket. Now here is, I got I to gotta tell you this before we leave. And if, I know you're going to have questions and that's okay. You can have questions. Uh, Travis, put that picture up there. You find it? Should be down there in the pictures folder somewhere. Now, a funny thing happened on the way to us pouring a parking lot out here and having a covered drop-off area. We, uh, we've raised about 28, almost $30,000 for this project. Ten days ago, I get a phone call. Not e- we're, we're not even looking to do anything. I get a phone call. We had said, wouldn't it be cool if we could buy some land back here so that we could eventually expand our worship center? We weren't looking. We were just, for years, we said, wouldn't it be cool? The realtor calls and says, hey, the bank has foreclosed upon 38 acres right behind your church. Are you interested in buying that? I said, oh, yeah, I got to talk to some folks. So talk to the board. We had a board meeting, and this is what we feel. We feel that God has just dropped that in our laps. Now, I, I haven't, I'm, I'm taking the contract tomorrow, so I hadn't signed the contract, and so I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of grace. I'll tell you everything next week, but I just want every, all the, all the I's to be dotted and all the T's crossed before I tell you, but, but all it's going to take from us right now to purchase this 38 acres. Now, this isn't the cost. I'm just telling you we already have money, right? We need to raise, by December 29th, we need to raise a little over $20,000, and we'll be able to buy 38 acres behind us. Now, added to what we already have, we need about $20,000, a little over that with closing costs. And so to me, this is just phenomenal. Everything that's happened in this church has happened this way. Uh, When we originally bought the land, we had this building and the house, and it was 2.1 acres. And if you you came in the first couple of years, there was no place to park. I mean, we were everywhere, trees, ditches, across the road, anywhere. We, We had people park. In fact, people would drive in our parking lot, couldn't find a place to park, and they would leave. And so one day, Caleb and I were mowing out here, and the lady over here came up, and she said, hey, you want to buy our land? And we're like, yeah. And so we bought that land, and now we have room to park. And we'd been talking for years that it'd be awesome to have some land back here behind us. We were talking an acre or two. We weren't talking 38 acres. And I'm just going to tell you, it's unbelievable what God is doing. And so um, we're, we're going to jump in tomorrow. I'm signing the contract, and and and... I'm trusting that you're going to come up with 20 grand because my name will be on the contract, but, but I know God's going to provide because he always has. And, and what I thought of was Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. I believe God is going to do some incredible things. This will enable us, enable us to never have to move. We'll have all the land we will ever need. And in the future, we may sell some. There's timber on the land. We can make some money off it. it it's crazy. I'll tell you the whole story next week. I'm just going to ask you to be praying that by December 29th, 
in our bagel fund, we'll raise an extra $20,000 and we'll be able to purchase this land. Would you stand together? I want you to hug three people and tell them that God is awesome. Then you're dismissed.